Welcome to the Eucatastrophe, where we meander through politics, pop culture, church, and society to consider true human ends and how life may be enchanted. I'm glad you could join us again this week. I'm Joel, joined as always by my co-host Dave here. This episode is probably coming out close to about a month um, after we've actually recorded it, so I thought it may be interesting, considering um, I have next to me my good friend Nostra Davis, (laughs) to ask him, Dave, what are your predictions? When this episode comes out, what will have happened? Um, I think there'll be a long inquiry that will reveal that the Liberal Party is actually just trying to raise the temperature of the earth to make it more hospitable to their reptilian overlords. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Anything else? Um, And that they're also trying to uh, free an elder god from under the earth through their coal mining. Yeah. Yeah. Those, I think they're actually, they've got some substance to them. Yeah. Will Spider-Man Home, uh, Far From Home come out by this stage? Yeah, maybe it will. Maybe it has. Oh, gosh. gosh. A brave new world. I'm I'm going to make a really bold prediction and yeah. say, we went and watched it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and we came out and thought it was all right. <laughs> Solid. Yeah. Okay, this week we're discussing authenticity. Last week we actually got a bit authentic. Hmm. And the cultural cringing, don't talk about yourself, New Zealander and me, soldiered through that. But now we're actually going to talk about authenticity as a concept. Uh, You may have heard us raise this at various times. It sort of potters throughout some of our episodes where we'll allude to this notion of authenticity. And here we're providing something of the context to that, the uh, personal and the political understanding of authenticity and a bit of a debate about what role it plays Mm. in our individual lives and our common life together. Yeah, so... um I suppose part of this is a, a bit of a, a corrective for myself. So I often um, uh, poo-poo the idea of authenticity and think that it, it, it gets kind of distorted and comes out in very negative ways um, in our culture and our public discourse. Um, so I, I kind of find it a bit cringeworthy, but I don't want to reject the concept of authenticity um, as such. Um, but I just want us to in- interrogate what it is that we mean when we talk about an authenticity as a culture, which might seem quite strange um, to some people because authenticity or the idea of being authentic um, is such a commonsensical um, idea f- for people. It, it, it goes without saying that what we ought to be pursuing is an authentic existence. Um, but it is an idea that has a history and a history that's worth interrogating. Um, so like, I suppose since the at least romantic period, um, the quest for an authentic existence has been more and more of a central concern for people in the West, beginning particularly with um, the role of the poet or the artist in society, uh, but then kind of merging over into basically every individual has almost a moral obligation to live an authentic life. Now, one way to think about this is in contrast to um, older Um, understandings of what it means to be human. Uh, So the quest for authenticity could be seen as a bit of a rejection of a universal understanding of human nature. That is that we all participate in the one human nature. Um, uh, And we've we've kind of, I I think, rejected that, perhaps not outright, um, or we've subordinated that that quest at least, the the pursuit of a human nature. Uh, 
to pursue our own individual kind of subjective experiences, our subjective understanding um, of what it means to be human, um, our pursuit of our own individual mode of being in the world that is distinct for each and every individual. So if we go back and we think of Aristotle's understanding of what it means to be human, um, that we're rational, political creatures, and that is what it means to be a human being, and we pursue that natural end as a human community. Or we think about Plato, who has a kind of class-based understanding um, of, of our identities as emerging from a kind of class structure or something like that. And these, these are kind of... Um, some th these are these are understandings of what it means to flourish as myself that are imposed from outside onto myself and that being a good thing or we can think of like uh, classical christian understandings of human beings as being created to be orientated towards union with the divine um, and that is our objective function as human beings that's what we exist to do uh but modernity uh begins to erode this idea that there are um, objective ends that each individual should pursue regardless um, of their own preferences or own perspectives. Um, so beginning with people like Don, Don Scotus, uh, Scotus uh, through to romantic thinkers, culminating in existential thinkers in the 1950s and 60s, uh, and then kind of coming to full fruition today, uh, there's been an absolute kind of undermining of universal conceptions of human nature in favour of the discovery of unique uh, mode of being for each individual. Now, uh, I've, I suppose I've framed that narrative there and it's a very simplest, incredibly simplistic narrative. Um, I framed that as a quite of a negative story. Um, and thinkers like Charles Taylor and Alastair McIntyre have, I, <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a bingo game that can be played with this podcast at this stage, isn't there? Um, uh, with the, na well, the names that we have, it's important that you keep invoking your god, your your grandfather. Yeah, that's right, Charles Taylor. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, what is what? What could be the problems with this? What could be the problems with rejecting a universal, objective understanding of what it means to be a human being with an individualized, subjectivized understanding of what it means to be a, a, a human being? That is the, the quest for authenticity. Well, some people are concerned with the idea of atomization. So. Um, the quest for an authentic self is a very individualistic uh, experience, so the argument goes, or a very individualistic pursuit. So in the past, a lot of our sense of who we are came from our social position um, uh, and was handed down to us through tradition. Um, it could have also come through class consciousness or connection uh, and identification with a particular community. So some people see the quest for authenticity as a kind of narcissistic, uh, inward-turning pursuit. Uh, some people also uh, see it as a relative, uh, relativistic pursuit, that there are no objective goods for humans to be pursuing, and the pursuit of the ideal pair of boots uh, could be um, uh, uh, equated with the pursuit of, I don't know, the emancipation of um, indentured servitude, uh, people suffering indentured servitude. Both of those are goods that a particular life might be orientated towards, and there's no uh, mediating concept by which to negotiate or to judge those things. So it's a relativistic understanding. And ultimately, uh, and thirdly, I think this is one of the most serious charges against the uh, idea of authenticity, is that it's a quest that is so easily commodified. So what became uh, came out of a very radical 
um, set of ideas, the idea that we all have a unique way of being in the world that's irreplaceable um, and not fungible, uh, that, that quest has now been co-opted by markets. And so every single advertisement is trying to sell you an authentic self, that if you buy this product, you'll be who you truly are meant to be. Um, travel, um, the travel industry is propped up by, um, by basically selling you on the idea that you can find your authentic self once you've disentangled yourself from the culture that you uh, have been raised in. Uh, social media platforms are ways of creating and pursuing your authentic individuality. Uh, so, uh, uh, and I suppose that is my biggest concern with the idea of authenticity. Is Joel. It can be co-opted. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to um, retread some of the ground, I think, that you've just been stating, but mm. put it into a context of political morality or conceptions of political authority in relationship to religion and so on, um, in particular with the thinking of a, a very prominent legal political philosopher named Ronald Dworkin who mm. passed away a few years ago. Um, but I think it echoes a lot of what you're, what you're uh, been setting out in uh, there. So for Dworkin, in a, in a un typical understanding of liberal uh, understanding of the ends of politics, the end of political authority is securing ethical independence for individuals. Hmm. Um, now, this means that political authority cannot be based on reasons that import a person's way of life is subordinate or inferior. We must show equal concern and respect for individuals' ethical choices. And so for Dworkin, in his later work, he talks about this as supporting human dignity, where dignity is understood as self-respect and also authenticity. He talks about this as finding a way of life that grips you as right for you. Um, now, interestingly for Dworkin, this becomes much more in his later work associated with religion as such, the religious quest. So he has a posthumous book called Religion Without God, in which he talks of religion in a more abstract uh, understanding is not theistic, but rather striving for value in one's life, your sense of the sublime or awe, and living authentically. Um, so he says that religion must be about determining these convictions, these authentic convictions a person has that can shape our life. So he associated it with intimate decisions like sexuality or beginning and end of life, as well as traditional claims of religion, but also then a sense of one's own liberty. So there are times when he talks about um, being a matchbox collector or a hedonist, mm. he says is a not a good performance of life, mm. but is one authentic expression of life, mm. right? He says it's not a good one, but he doesn't, like you said before, mm. there's often no basis for determining, well, why is it not a good one? Why mm. is being a matchbox collector? And this is similar in Rawls, for example, mm. talks about the ultimate, the, the, the good of self-respect. And he gives this uh, well-known example of the person who's finds ultimate value in, um, chopping blades of blades of grass and counting them mm. and he says now we must respect that you mm. know this is a this is their authentic expression of their conception mm. of the good um, now this idea that that form of authenticity has um, for in Dworkin's case is uh, a religious quest mm. very much echoes Charles Taylor who you've mentioned so Taylor talks about authenticity as the shift from God's ministrations mediated through a normative pattern in the world where we have this relationship to the transcendent, hmm. that gives way to an understanding of God as the commanding agent who we must follow his ethical codes hmm. to then the ethical codes becoming imminent and to eventually for 
Taylor saying that we must simply follow our own goals, mm. potentially uncoupled from authority or any mediation of a tradition, for example. So religion then turns across this period of time into a personal quest with ever widening options. He talks about the, um, you know, sort of an explosive effect of um, of the ever widening options available to the person. So there's a changed understanding of religion here that is then coupled to the purpose of political authority. It is to further mm. and support person's authenticity. Yeah. And authenticity is understood almost in these religious, or not almost, but I think actually you can mm. see it within this religious genealogy. Um, now, you mentioned consumerism, and I think that's really mm. of an important point. So when Dawkins says you must find and pursue what grips you as right for you, grips, mm. right? That has an echo almost of Augustine, yeah. where Augustine says it's our desires that um, uh, orientate us, uh, what we love, what grips us in that mm. sense. But for in the abstract sense, what is it that grips us generally today? You'd have to say it's commodification. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to think being a consumer. So what this authenticity can turn into is like a non-confessional theology, mm. right? In which your purpose is to pursue goods. Um, you know, as opposed to Augustine, who would say that pursuit of goods, that consumption, would be just simply a form of idolatry because it's pursuing the lower things rather than the higher things of God. Um, so I think there's interesting implications here about authenticity, mm. how it comes back ultimately to that relationship between political authority and our understanding of religion, the relationship of the two, and how we may have, in fact, competing religiosities in which if the purpose of political authority is to further authenticity, mm. that in itself could be understood as a very religious quest of a particular kind yeah. about narrating individual um, personal narratives yeah. as opposed to say you think about something like Augustine or something where the orienting of political authority is towards a common love mm. namely the pursuit of God and then how that manifests as a community of self-forgetting conviviality he says in fact Dworkin talks about that we need a new understanding of the res publica, hmm. right? He says we need a new understanding in which it's about maintaining liberal neutrality for individuals to pursue, you know, this authenticity. Um, and that's different, of course, to Augustine, who talks about a res publica as uniting in a common love. In fact, you could argue from an Augustinian perspective that this idea of political authority or the res publica being um, the liberal neutrality of pursuing everyone's authenticity can collapse into a form of self-love, hmm. right? In which your, your focus is on the community focus is on being able to cultivate the self yeah. rather than a relationship with each other that is in mediation to a transcendent God, for example. Hmm. I like that, um, the, the point about, um, consumerism or commodification there i um was just reminded of i'm at the moment i'm reading uh patrick Deneen's why liberalism failed and mm. one of the points that he made that really got me thinking was he, he uh, asked us to think about how frequently we're referred to as consumers versus citizens so how often are, right. are you do you actually um, consider yourself a citizen or a um uh or are called called such by a politician yeah. in public discourse, you're far more likely to be referred to as a consumer than a citizen. And that shows you something about um, the thing that is uh, granting you a public identity. Well, to walk in in this book, Sovereign Virtue, actually draws that explicitly. He says mm. um, he draws an analogy explicitly to the free market. Mm. 
and says, you know, in the same way we understand economics in terms of free market, we also have this certain understanding of a free market of ethical choice, mm. right? So ethical choice, but and there's an analogy there, but I actually think they can well, collapse into each it, other, right? Yeah. Free market of ethical choice can actually just be the free market. Um, you know, after 9-11, right, what was Bush's uh, immediate response? Go out and shop. Yeah, that's that right. Was, yeah. That, that, that was it. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a similar move that happens in... Um, um, health and disability where um, people are no longer are referred to as patients in hospitals they're referred to as consumers mm. um, uh, be, and the idea being that it's a it's a form of liberation mm. um, and equi- um, equality um, that we're all equal <laughs> uh, uh, and um, an inversion of the power relation so you're consuming the goods being sold to you by the doctor my i mean the problem there is obviously that it completely disregards the nature of the relationship with your body that your doctor has mm. that is not analogous to any other service provider. But anyway, oh, I that's think just that, a, But the point uh, about bodies is interesting, is right? Because even the way we talk about them as mm. almost a form of property to be cultivated, yeah. my hand, my this, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, we curate ourselves. So mm. social media is an example. We of this. go to the gym. Yeah, yeah, you too, which is a <laughs> saturated evil. <laughs> yeah, your authentic Daveness comes out at the gym. But I think that's important, right? The, because what you'd say if you responded to this, you could say, well, some of these are better and worse, for, wor- better uh, forms of authenticity than others. Yeah. You yep. could say um, the person who curates their life on Instagram and cultivates, you know, what Dworkin identified as a love of matchbooks, mm. and that's their entire existence, mm. right? That's what they are oriented by. Or um, Rawls' as example of the person who wants to cut blades of gl- gl- grass. Mm. You may, you could say, well, there's a problem there. Now, these writers would say, yeah, there may be a problem. You know, they'd say it's not a very good way of living a full life, but they have no basis yeah. for saying that. Yeah. There's no real argument to say, why is there this hierarchy? Whereas clearly in like an Augustan sense, when you have a kind of Neoplatonic understanding mm. of hierarchy of ways of life, mm. you know, progressing towards God, yeah. then there is understanding of like, well, no, actually some specifications are problematic or mm. some specifications are not conducive to mm. human flourishing. Yeah. But this is the problem you mentioned at the start, yeah. right? You know, we start with an understanding that there is an end for the person mm. that we are trying to move towards. Mm. And if we lose that, if that's gone, then, well, what is our understanding of differentiating between yeah. these authentic expressions? Yeah. So I'd like to kind of move on to, to talk about whether the idea of authenticity, living an authentic life, having an authentic existence is, is redeemable uh, in, our, uh, in a kind of Christian underway, understanding of human flourishing. Uh, so I suppose when I talk about authenticity, I'm thinking of something like that human beings have a unique way of being, a way of being in the world that is unique to them as an individual um, that can be stifled by external forces. Uh, so forces like social pressures, economic pressures, relational pressures. Um, so if you think of kind of particularly horrible forms of interpersonal abuse in relationships where one person's not allowed to just be themselves, they have to kind of conform to the expectations of a partner. That, that seems to be a horrible form of, a, of abuse. Um, uh, so is that idea redeemable the idea of that you have a way of being that you you should be able to pursue and express i want to say yes i I think there is such a thing as a good pursuit of authenticity with some caveats Um, so i think to begin with i would want to say that the idea that anything influence influencing you is somehow an attack on your authenticity especially you know 
having social forces or traditional forces influencing your way of being in the world. Uh, I don't think it's possible to think of that as purely as a, as a negative or in conflict with living an authentic existence. Mm. I think it, uh, uh, an attack on authenticity happens in an extreme case. Nevertheless, I think we should be pursuing a society where people can, in some sense, be themselves. Um, and we should be pursuing relationships where people uh, can be themselves. And so, you know, if we think back to uh, some of the problems I raised with authenticity atomization, there are ways of redeeming this move towards um, being a unique individual in the world um, that kind of deal with atomization or problematize the idea of atomization. So one of the things that happens concurrently with the development of the sovereign individual or the authentic individual um, is a desire for recognition, which is a fundamental part of our current political context. People are longing to be recognised, and a lot of identity politics is tied up with this pursuit. You need to re recognise me for my such and such identity and things like that. That itself seems to be um, uh, a, a contradiction to atomization. So there's ways in which it's not, um, obviously, but at the same time, one of the things we can kind of praise about our uh, present moment is a return to the idea that part of human dignity is being recognized rightly. Mm. Um, so I think we can look at identity politics, for example, and think there's a good thing happening here. Uh, there's something that's de-atomizing uh, or there's resources for de-atomization um, or communal life that are happening there. Or if we think about relativization, uh, I think there is a rational conversation to be had about the goods that people's lives uh, are pursuing with their lives. Um, and you know, I think one of the conversations that people need to be able to have is you need to be able to put whatever it is that's orientating your life, the good that you're orientating your entire existence around. I think people need to have that put in the context of the fact that they're going to die. And is, uh, is that what they're happy to, to be leaving as their, their legacy? Those kinds of conversations are possible even but in even an authentic that, age. Right, even that points to it not being an end in itself, I think. Because the idea that you're thinking about death and the mm. context of death and you framed it as what do you leave behind, that has a much more social understanding, right? Well, no. What but do I leave behind is not just about, um, you know, people will recognise I was ex-identity yeah. um, or ex-authentic self, but actually what do I leave behind is that my authentic expression of something well, for me is has been has contributed a gift yeah that's right i i absolutely agree with that and i suppose where i was coming from was i was thinking of i imagine a lot of um these uh goods that we these these kind of pseudo goods that i think i'd call them that people are pursuing with their lives that are unhelpful are actually distractions rather than goods mm. so there there are attempts to forget the fact that you're going to die <laughs> <laughs> and actually, can, uh, this is, I'm getting very Heideggerian here, but actually confronting people with the reality of, um, uh, of breaking that distraction mm. and saying, no, this, you know, there's still a reality coming even if you're able to distract yourself through X activity. Well, so Augustine like, refers to them as phantasms of the mind. Yeah, or he calls it play as well. Mm. So he refers to people that are um, uh, obsessed with business, for example. He, he thinks that they have a juvenile obsession with play. Mm. Um, uh, he thinks that it's basically a hobby that they're pursuing, <laughs> right. uh, which I think is incredibly, uh, yeah, I find it very uh, liberating. So it would be a to problem to say my identity, my authenticity is I'm a businessman. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you'll come through moments in your life where that, that, um, that good is, is problematized, mm. whether your health fails you, you can't pursue this anymore, you go bankrupt, and then you have to deal with your existence. But that's, that's a, a besides where I want to kind of maybe narrow down away from just the problems and the, the potential solutions or caveats to those problems that I've just discussed. I think there's ways in which we can think Christianly about kind of human um, nature or anthropology um, that make authentic, authenticity actually quite important for thinking about our own, our own lives. One thing I'd say is that... Um, this this turn towards self-disclosure or self-understanding of our own life story, which I think you'll probably hear Joel and I um, come down on sometimes. Uh, biography in itself isn't a negative thing. It's actually quite central to the way in which God works in our lives. So if you think of, again, Augustine, the Confessions, one long prayer where he reflects on his entire life story, and that story, even with its brokenness and sinfulness, uh, is redeemed and turned into the story of God's salvation for the, for the world. And it, it's almost, and it's also kind of the creation of the Western conception of what it means to be a self. Uh, so God, I think, works with our own particular stories, and reflecting on our own lives can be a way of reflecting on God's grace in the world. But again, I think wh- where these goes this goes wrong is when it, uh, it it loses sight of the goal of pursuing God's grace or or something like that and becomes a project in itself. Well, it's, we want a narrative. Re, re, retelling. So, we want so the quest for narrative, I think, is good and yeah. is necessary. And a narrative, um, as we've discussed, when you should go, all our listeners should go back and listen to the Avengers episode because <laughs> it's... Our least listened to episode. But it's possibly the most important. Yeah. Uh, in which we talked about just the general mm. pleasure of the narrative of a beginning, middle, and an end, and, yeah. right? And that actually, yeah, that end. We want to be able to narrate our lives in relation to something. That yeah. They're actually a quest for something. They're a form of, um, they're, they are, you know, they're not without meaning. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so if... If you're pursuing a self-understanding in this way, I think there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The problem is when it's um, uh, detached from a particular end. And, and the same could be said of introspection. I mean, uh, again, uh, introspection is something that I sometimes, you might hear me coming down on because it can turn into a kind of what we might call a, self, a, self, um, a self-consuming passion or a masturbatory, it might be one way of saying it, in that, uh, or navel gazing we talk about. Uh, if if it becomes... <laughs> navel gazing, maybe. Well, <laughs> blessed way of putting it. <laughs> so if it becomes an end in yourself to kind of constantly looking within to the, your own kind of uniqueness and things like that, there is a way in which that can be quite narcissistic. And um, fuel for a market. Yeah, that's right. right. Fuel for new identity. Yeah. New identities are fuel for new markets, for new products. Yeah, or, or like a new self-help book for, to, so that you'll understand what's really going on within you and things mm. like that. Now, so, you know, self-help book and psychology and all that thing, it can be very, very useful. Again, it, 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 it's about it being detached from a, a, a particular end. But, more- so introspection, 
is a, a profoundly Christian experience mm. looking inside you and you actually find that God is at work there. And that can be your first connection with the divine is understanding that God is within you um, as well as without. Uh, and that was the beginning of Augustine's but that's, that's So that's a slightly different point of authenticity, right? So authenticity where we talk about the what grips you is right for you has an element of, so Dworkin will talk about developing your own style. Yeah. Whereas what you're articulating there, the development of your own style is as much um, discovery as mm. invention. Yeah. Right. Discovery of who you are within this wide, much wider narrative. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the humanist um, sense, the, the uh, Renaissance humanist, Christian humanist sense, they're talking about the persona, adopting the persona of yeah. God, where persona was understood as the masks. Yeah. So what you have there is multiple specifications, multiple instances, creative, unique, and so on, hmm. of this unity. Yeah. In which we are together hmm. pursuing a unity, but in multiple and different ways, right? Yeah. And I think that's another point to add is that it's not then about um, you know the individual being able to construct in an individual manner, yeah. but we are persons in relationship. Yeah. And so it can only ever be mediated by history, yeah. by traditions, by your locality, your culture, and so on. Mm. Um, and I suppose finally the, the, the way reason that I think authenticity is completely redeemable is um, the idea of healing. So I think some people have broken and fragmented lives where for all sorts of reasons, um, things are just a mess for them. Um, and God's way of healing there is not to just m kind of um, from nothing recreate them as a new person. God tends to work in people's lives uh, using the raw material that's there in front of him. And so actually coming to an understanding of the nature of your own brokenness, and this is why I think while we might you might hear us um, decrying a therapeutic culture, therapy in itself is not and evil, um, it's actually discovering the way in which um, the world has kind of, or, or sin and corruption has entered into your own life and understanding that and challenging uh, that brokenness and opening up rooms and possibilities for God's work, uh, God's spirit to work in your life. And that means you actually need to one, uh, understand things like, why do I automatically go for this unhelpful behavior when I'm respond when I am presented with particular stimulation or, or, or things like that. I don't think it has to, I mean, you're, you're right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be just simply about therapy and restoration, yes. but actually there is something incredibly important to maintain from that romantic tradition you mm. said about creativity. Yes. You know, that actually our emotions, our creativity and so on can actually be elevated into something transcendent mm. and that that creativity has a certain individuality or we may say uniqueness to it that is offered to the world as a gift for what is still nevertheless, I think, a common project. But, you know, the idea that you don't, you're not just a carbon copy of someone else. Mm. You're not just, uh, you don't just have um, a predetermined script mm. that is imposed upon you by whatever context you're in, mm. but in fact, you're uniquely irreplaceable. Yes. And your unique irreplaceability is actually found in the creativity you bring to a community. Yeah. I can turn to Dave and go, I think we've said this before, if Dave were to fall out of my life, <laughs> the tragedy would be, you know, just too much because of his uniqueness, right? Which I should say because we're finishing he could fall out of my life because actually 
I should have said on the predictions we started at the very beginning, one prediction for one month into the future is that you may go rogue in Tasmania <laughs> after you're going there to give these talks, right? You may be, you may just go and adopt a you know thorough life on some Tasmanian shore and just will never hear from you again, <laughs> in which I don't know who I'll get to do the podcast with. <laughs> Or just be Tim, just sorry, Liam and I just sitting here, <laughs> me talking to myself while Liam scrolls through different web pages. He, and he stopped recording months ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so I, I suppose in, in uh, to wrap it up, I think uh, in an age where people are kind of flattened out in their identities um, to the lowest common denominator, where people are reduced the identity of consumer, where people... Um, uh, uh, turned into demographics, for example, all of what you were just saying, Joel, about um, our this this possibility of this irreplaceable uh, creative way of being in the world. That I think is part of the good news of the gospel for our particular epoch. That 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 you can give up on these kind of fetishized, commodified, idolatrous ways of pursuing yourself, and find yourself in something much more orientated towards something like the common good. Hmm. So uh, I think that'll uh, do us for this week. Um, please like us and subscribe to us on social medias. Uh, if you can find us on Twitter um, at UCAT, that's E-U-C-A-T underscore podcast. You can find us on Facebook by searching the Eucatastrophe. Um, please share us. Please share us around as well. We know um, you're listening. We know you're listening. We're watching and, you. And if you, <laughs> if you listen and don't share, you're a scam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.